what does it mean to love golf? Well, loving golf means you love that it's a game of mistakes. And welcome back. Welcome aboard or another part train. I'm your co-host, Evan Singer. We've got my partner in crime, our other co-host, Matt Cermak here. What's and up, we're man? fired up about the ride we just took on the train. That was pretty special. That pretty was pretty special. special. <laughs> pretty surreal of yeah. uh, the conversation we just had with Dr. Bob Rotella. I called him the godfather of sports psychology. He's the premier, what you think about in sports psychology. That's the name you think about. We just had him on the show. Before we get to that, guys, in case you're new... Welcome aboard the Part Train. Part Train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Part Train podcast unpacks mental game with PJ Torpro's best-selling author, CEO, sports psychologist like Dr. Bob Rotella, the premier sports psychologist in the world, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. Before we get to this episode, and our preview of this conversation with Dr. Bob Rotella, we first have to talk about our friends and our sponsor, Roback Performance Apparel. It's Love the start of February, yep, uh, 2022, and Valentine's Day is around the corner, and a lot of people don't know what to get for Valentine's Day. Well, guess what? Roback Performance Apparel has Valentine's Day prints and colors, these mm. pink Q-zips, maybe a navy polo with very subtle pink dots. Oh. I mean, they got a whole line. That perfect is gift. perfect gift. So whether yeah. if you're a guy, listen to this, maybe pass it along to your significant other as like a hint, because all they got to do is go in our show notes, tap that link, automatically get 15% off in their cart. If you've already used it, pro tip, just use another email. They didn't what? hear it from us. Oh. And uh, get yourself 15% off. Sir, you've seen the prints. I mean, they're looking good, whether it's a Q-zip, a polo, a hoodie, layer up, get rollback performance barrel. Ev, I agree with you. I mean, you got to get something for Valentine's Day. This whole business of no gifts exchange, come on. Especially for those, our listeners, who have not pulled the trigger on rollback. I mean, Ev, we literally wear rollback every day of our yeah, lives. Yeah, we're, we're wearing it right now. <laughs> I mean, like every day because it works for everything. So yeah. I think you have nine hoodies. Are you up to nine hoodies? Uh, I think I'm at eight. Let's not get crazy. Okay. I'm at eight hoodies. But I'm I'm at four vests, so you know that's intense. I'm, I'm investing in the vest. Yeah, at roback.com. Well, <laughs> I will tell you this: uh, we've time. said many times before. I refuse to wear anything that is not versatile anymore. I will not buy something that will not work in wow. Zoom meetings or in the office, uh, on the course, lounging on the couch, workouts. Yes. Like it needs to work for all of it, and that's what Roback is built for. Their motto is literally "crave activity." They want you to be active in their stuff and it's so soft and stretchy if you haven't gotten it yet this is probably the time to get it so go get the link from our show notes it's also linked in our bio at the partrain instagram twitter and tiktok are the best places to get it and i'm gonna finish this talk about rowback because i'm so excited to talk about this episode with dr bob Rotella. first thing i gotta say sir i don't know if you caught this but not only did he compliment my good looks he compared wow. me to vince lombardi he did yeah I mean, he, he compared you to the greatest NFL coach ever. Thinks you're a great looking guy and very smart. He I mean, asked if I was a sports look. psychologist as well. He did. And he was you know, just deadpan, totally serious the whole time with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. He, he was great. Well, Ev, I mean, this is a really, this is a really cool episode. I mean, think about this podcast, right? When 
we really started getting into the mental game. I mean, Dr. Bob Rodella is, he's it in the game of yeah. golf. When you think about bringing, you know, sports psychology, golf psychology into the forefront. I mean, one of the first great sports psychology books I ever read was putting out, putting out of your mind. And it was such an amazing book. And I got to give a shout out to one of my best buddies and high school teammates from Chicago, Ryan Hosley for our high school matches on the bus. He would read golf is not a game of perfect and putting out of your mind before our nine hole conference matches. And it was like his Bibles. And so for all you guys, this is an incredible interview here. We get into a lot and boy, I have some great insights into the best players in the world. He's been around tiger. He's been around Jack. He's been around Feldo, you know, and not just golf too. So guess who he coaches in the NBA? Just guess guys. LeBron James heard of him. Rory McIlroy heard of him. I mean, I think the only other time we've ever thrown out our outline, meaning, and you know, we flow with the conversation and things come up that we don't plan for, but Sean Foley and Dr. Bob Rotella are probably the two that the outline went out the window. The questions we wanted to ask, we asked a few of them, went out the window and he took us for a ride in the best way possible. The things that he says, the way he thinks, you know, this shows about simplicity and and dumbing things down for the average golfer in golf and in life, Dr. Bob Rotella is, he reminds us of that every minute of the podcast. He dumbs things down. He challenges the status quo. Yep. And it's like, hey, if you want to be negative and you don't want to focus on this stuff, cool. That's okay. Right? right? But you're probably not going to be very good. Right. Well, and two, two last things I'll say for you guys going to check this episode out. Look, he stood the test of time. He understands the old school of the game and he understands new school. He's not, he's, there's a reason why the greatest athletes of today are still going to him. And I think that is a testament mm-hmm. to his, just his brilliance and longevity. And also he coaches average golfers, like, mm-hmm. you know, that just want to get better. Like everybody listen to us, you know, obviously, you know, he, <laughs> he might cost a little more per hour, but yeah. like he, we talk a little bit about that, you know, and yeah. some of his students. So just absolute pleasure and, I mean, kind of an honor, man, being around this yeah. game forever. It was, it was really cool to talk to Dr. Yeah. Bob Yeah, what a great honor. What a great word to sum it up. And his latest book just came out recently. It's called Make Your Next Shot Your Best Shot. Mm. Definitely go get that on Amazon or wherever you get your books. But thank you again to Dr. Bob Rotella. What an honor. You guys are in for a real treat. Don't you dare stop this episode short. This You got to go to the end. We have That's a great. lot of fun, and the nuggets you're going to get from this will just continually build on what you've learned already from this show. And if it's your first time on the train, welcome. What a start. So no matter yeah. how you're hitting it, no matter how much you've talked down to yourself or how much doubt or fear you have, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Welcome aboard, Bob. How are you? We're glad to have you. Well, I'm glad to be aboard, Evan. Good <laughs> you ever, to be with you. You ever talked about the mental game on a train, Bob? Is this new for you? On a train? Yeah. I've never, you know, I don't even remember the last time I've been on a train. Well, here you go. <laughs> I, I usually do cars and planes, not a lot of trains. Well, this will be, a, maybe this will be Perfect a good uh, mindset opportunity. You know, something new. There might be some, some yeah, jitters. We'll work through it together, Bob. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so. Go ahead. 
Bob, I wanted to start with, um, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show get down on themselves like so many people do because they think they're making progress. You know, this show might be their first experience with the mental game, right? And they think they're making progress in the mental side and they might have a day where they feel like they forgot everything. So I want to start, I want to know, I know you play, we were talking off air, a lot of golf when you're not working, when you're not coaching. What is something you tell yourself on days when you get in your own way, either on the course or in life? Because you've got the training, you know, you're the godfather of sports psychology. What, what do you do? What do you do when you have off days? Well, I think the important thing is to not have an off day mentally. And to me, that means golf is a game that you say you love. So a lot of people, a lot of people tell me how much they love golf. They love taking lessons. They love practicing. They love reading about golf. They love talking about golf. They love watching golf on television. And they'll look at me and say, you know, it's interesting. After talking to you, I think I love golf all the time, except when I'm actually playing it. And I go, yeah, that won't work. Yeah. So that's like my wife only liking me when I'm not home. You know, it's like you got to actually love golf when you're playing it. And if you like it conditionally, meaning I only really love golf when everything's going my way and every putt's lipping in instead of lipping out and every ball's going where I'm looking, uh, well, then you don't love golf. And so, I mean, I think you have to begin with getting people to really understand what it means to love something. And, you know, that, that's where it has to start. And if you're really doing what you love, well, some days it's like I'm going to really enjoy the guys I'm playing with and maybe one or two of them is playing really good, so I'm going to enjoy and cheer for them, um, mm-hmm. because at least I'm outside on the golf course playing golf. Yeah. And there's a lot of other things you could be doing, um, like you could be in Chicago <laughs> with it city. cold and snowy, like some people, <laughs> and not getting to play golf. So I mean, it's I mean that's where I would start with everybody. And the second thing I'd tell them it's a game, mm-hmm. and because it's a game. You have to play at it. And so I think a lot of people get so into working at their game that they're always trying hard and they're not playing golf. And so, I mean, when you get on the golf course, you have to play the game. And so I'm always, are you filled with joy? Are you really having a good time? Do you feel like you're playing a game or do you feel like you've made golf into another job that you hate and complain about all the time Mm -hmm. uh, and tell everyone how much you hate it? Um, and I think, you know, that just ruins it. And I mean, I think that's where you have to start. Then, I mean, I, I think you have to help people understand that it's by design a game of mistakes. And what does it mean to love golf? Well, loving golf means you love that it's a game of mistakes. And if you're spending your whole life trying to change golf into a game of perfect, then you don't like golf. And if you think you're going to be the first person to ever perfect it, and then you're going to dominate it, Um, you're really in trouble. And then I think the other part of it is you're a human being. So because you're a human being, you're born flawed. I mean, I'm looking at you. I can just look at you and see that you're born flawed. (laughs) And I mean, you can look at me and see that I'm born flawed. Um, But I mean, when you play golf, you're going to make human errors. And even at the highest, like if you watch the last three golf tournaments on television on tour, I mean, they're all making all kinds of human errors and golf errors. And it's like, if you love golf, then you enjoy that. That's part of it. Because you've accepted that it's a game of mistakes 
it's not a game of perfect as my first book title was my last book title in case you fail to mention it Evan, <laughs> is you know make your next shot your best shot which came yeah. out about a month ago and the whole point is once you hit a shot wherever it goes now the game is to go get your ball and go find a way to get it in the hole from wherever it lies and Sometimes it's in the middle of the fairway. Sometimes it's in the rough. Sometimes it's in the woods. Sometimes up against the tree. Sometimes it's in the water. And it's like, but you got to go play your next shot. And, you know, that's what people have to learn. But that's what golf is. And that's how you play it. And all the people that get good at it don't let anything bother them, upset them once they're on the golf course. Because I'm playing golf and it's a game of mistakes played by humans. And the good news is everyone else in the tournament is human and everyone else is going to miss shots and make mistakes. And can you handle it? And the other thing I'd say that's important is reminding people that golf is probably the most honest thing you're ever going to do in your life. <laughs> um, there really aren't many other things in life that are as honest as golf. Like if, if Padraig Harrington was here, who I've worked with for years, he would say, look, what I've learned is the ball's going to go wherever my last thought is. So I better get my last thought in the right place. Because if my last thought is in the bad place, I'm going to make some adjustment in my swing to make sure I don't hit it there. And I'm going to hit it in the opposite place. And I mean, so, I mean, a lot of golf is just saying, I want the only thing in my head to be where I want the ball to go. Mm -hmm. You said you want to make it simple for golfers. That would be a really good simplification. Think only of where you want the ball to go. And if you're not thinking about that, get away from it. And then even when it doesn't go there, don't care. And just go do the best you can on your next shot of seeing the shot you want. And do that until you run out of holes. So before you go to the first tee, have already made up your mind, I'm going to have fun playing golf today. And there's anything that could happen between the first tee and the 18th green that can change that. I mean, that, that would be a really good simplification of the mental game. Um, I don't think you need to make it any more complicated than that. Um, but to do that, you probably have to go the first tee and take your expectations and throw them in a trash can. Yeah, Because yeah. expectations could really mess you up once you're on the course. If you start judging every shot to the purest shot you hit on the range warming up, or if you judge your score on every hole to the score you wanted to have, you're probably going to end up messing it up. So you mm -hmm. just have to do your best, accept it, and go the next shot. Make your next shot your best shot is such a great book title. It really is. Your fans ought to buy. It really is. And you know what I was going to tell will. you, Bob? My older brother, Lee, got me that book for my birthday this past well, happy, year. Happy birthday, Evan. Well, thank you. You know, what a gift, though. Oh, and I'm and I'm loving it. So we will talk about that. But I want to ask you, you've worked with the last I looked, I didn't know if it was 81 major champions or 81 major championships. And you've worked yeah. with people that obviously won majors. Or a lot of it's them. up to 83, but it's 83 major championship wins. Yeah, got it. Okay. So obviously a lot, right? You've clearly helped them to get the best out of them. That's what you do. And that's what I love about what you do is it's not just about golf. It's about helping people achieve their peak performance when whatever yeah, what they're doing. Means, yeah. And what that means to me is 
They've been to my house for two full days, one-on-one. We talk on the phone a lot in between. I've gone to tournaments with them, been there with them. Um, And, you know, I mean, you you get a lot of publicity, you know, probably for superstars that win. I probably take more joy from people that no one else thought would win, went out and win uh, majors. Um, but I mean, you know, some of it is some guys, it's like winning a t- regular tournament. Some guys win, it's winning two or three or more regular tournaments. Some guys win it's a major, some win in multiple majors. Um, some guys it's learned how to shoot lower. Sometimes it's guys who have gotten scared with their pitching or their driver or their putter. Um, so, I mean, it varies from, and even amongst players, it varies from time to time because I don't think anyone ever just masters the mental game or the physical game. It's interesting. And now you bring it up. Like I've had a lot of people come to me over the years and say, you know, doc, I've practiced my tail off, taken lessons from the best for 30 years and finally come into grips to the fact it's all in my head. It's not in the physical and man, What they're really saying is, now I'm going to get my head good, and that's how I'm going to start puring it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I have to look at them and go, oh, God, have I got bad news for you. (laughs) There's nothing I'm going to teach you that's going to cause you to pure it all the time and make every putt you look at. Um, Your misses are going to get better. Your bad ones are going to get better, but it's not going to bother you. And you're just going to go score regardless. But it's amazing how some people get into the mental game because they think, Nah, that's how you're going to just master mm-hmm. the game of golf. And that's, you're not going to ever master it. No one ever has. I mean, if you think about it, today's players, the best players, are maybe averaging a half a green more than Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan were. And you just go, wait a minute. We got new shots, new balls, new right. practice facilities new cameras we got all we got new sports psychologists i mean we got so much more information how can guys still be hitting the same number of greens that's how brilliant whoever invented this crazy game was Mm, so it doesn't seem to matter what we do or how good you can peer it on the rain when you get on a golf course and at that point you tell people look the driving range may not have anything to do with golf people go what do you mean i go well whoever said it did it's a good place for learning some golf skills, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with playing golf. In other words, at some point, you're going to have to learn how to play golf on a golf course. So people who think they're just going to master it on a range ain't going to help. But at some point, you have to yeah. play golf. Bob, before I ask you about Padraig Harrington, I want to go back for a second. You said that once we figure out how to love the game of golf because it's a game full of mistakes we're going to get to a better place mm-hmm. but you coach other other sports other teams other athletes yep. you coach bi- businesses isn't that about all of this right like it, life is full of mistakes playing division one basketball or nba basketball or baseball whatever it is it's all full of mistakes it kind of it all goes it all goes around there right so you probably do you communicate that differently based on the sport or the job, but that same concept, you just got to surrender to the, well, the imperfections. I, I would say um, the more competitive your job, 
the bigger the rewards, the tougher the setbacks and disappointments, the more it's like golf. Um, I mean, the other option is to find safety and security. I mean, you can always find a job, a nine to five job where you get a 2% raise every year and you have safety and security. And if you want that, you probably don't play golf Um, because, you know, I mean, let's face it. Even at the very top level, I mean, most athletes are pretty, there's some degree of insecurity because the competition is so tough. And if you're not at your absolute best, but I think there are some jobs where you don't have to be at your best. In other words, I'm asking people to be in the best state of mind and the best mood you could ever possibly be in and do it all the time you're doing whatever it is you're doing. But there are probably plenty of jobs where you don't have to do that to survive, but they're just going to survive and they're kind of surviving life. And the people I work with have big ideas and big dreams and they're in something that's very competitive and it's very challenging and it's difficult. And certainly golf is difficult, but you know, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, people read my books all the time and tell me, you know, this applies to life. And I go, yeah, you know, we agree on that point. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's, but that's why it's a great game because it's not easy. And like right now, a lot of people have taken up golf during COVID and it'll be interesting to see how many of them keep playing when COVID's over, if it's ever over. Um, because I think a lot of people, when they realize how hard it is now, when you're playing good, it's real easy. I mean, it can be real easy, but it can also be really hard. What's so impressive about tour players is they can hit it really mediocre and score like a banshee. I mean, they're really impressive. And having played with a lot of tour players, I mean, I've seen them hit it really good. But it's it's the, the most glaring thing is how many shots great players miss when you play with them. But when they add up their score, it's really good. And that's what a lot of people don't get. I mean, if you think about it, the two greatest players of the last 20 years, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, not necessarily in that order. Okay. So probably Tiger number one, Phil's probably number two. But they were probably the two worst drivers of a golf ball with a driver I've seen in 45 years. And they didn't care. Phil's attitude was I'm hitting driver everywhere. And when I hit it in the woods, my attitude is all the birdies are in the trees. Okay. <laughs> Tiger took a totally different approach. He took a very Jack Nicholas like approach. And he said, if I can't see it, I'm not hitting it. And so he developed this other shot called a stinger. He had a knockdown stinger in the fairway, maybe 30 yards behind other players. And then said, no, I'm going to go kick your butt. Right. Um, very different course management approaches. Never got to the point where, the, I mean, think about it. Still, they're not just great drivers with a driver. I mean, Tiger's stats look pretty good. But if they had a stat for driving with a driver, they wouldn't look so good. But, man, they could score. And, and, and my point is not to knock them. My point is to praise them. They got the game. Now, this is how crazy the game of golf is. People watch Tiger for years, hit one to four drivers a day, hit some other shot. So he hit a stinger every time it was a really challenging golf hole, other than maybe two tournaments in his life. Um, And then they go home 
and they want to swing like Tiger swing. And I'd say, but Tiger didn't use that swing when he was on a tee box with a driver. Right. He used a stinger off the tee. Why are you trying to swing like him? If Tiger Woods, with his degree of confidence, couldn't believe in that swing on a good driving hole, why would you want it? And they look at me like, oh, my God, I never thought about it. I said, you just watched him play every tournament. Right. How could you not have thought? So, I mean, that's how crazy this game is. Yeah. We yeah. just want to be like the stars, and we don't really learn. And so, like, I'm more likely to have players take a pad of paper and watch a tour of Saturday and Sunday round and watch the final groups and say, I want you to make a check mark every time they miss a, tee, a, a fairway. Make a check every time they miss a green. Make a check every time they don't get it up and down. Make a check every time they miss a putt inside six feet. And they're like in shock at how many mistakes right. they make, but they never noticed it until I made them do it. And what I hear all the time is when I watch Tiger and Phil, all I see is all the good shots they hit. Don't even notice their bad shots. When I watch tape of myself, all I watch is all my bad shots, and I don't ever notice my good shots. Now, the other funny thing that's related is that you'll say, okay, so you've watched Tiger play a lot? Yeah. Um, what do you think when Tiger misses a green? Oh, I just know he's going to either chip it in or get it up and down. I said, good. So you've watched him a lot? Yeah. He's, oh, he's my hero. I go, so when you play golf, what do you think when you miss a green? Oh, I know I'm going to make a bogey or a double. <laughs> you know? And I go, well, then you didn't learn anything from watching them. Why do you even watch? Mm. They go, what do you mean? Well, the only benefit of watching them would be if you learn to think the way you think he thinks when you're actually playing with your game. Or, or at least start with the belief system, right? Like, That'd be a good idea. You can't, I can get up and down. Let's start there. Right? <laughs> well, see, and the lesson learned is those two guys, Tiger and Phil, they happened to have a flaw or a weakness in the one part of the game that you can be a great player and be weak at. You don't have to be a great driver. That's what they've taught us uh, mm -hmm. to be the best player in the world. I mean, think yeah. about it. They're beating the best players in the world. But most everybody else is spending all their time working on their driver because they think they got to drive it great in order to be win an amateur tournament. And Arnold Palmer said it great a long, long time ago. He said, my philosophy of golf is all you got to do is hit one good shot per hole, and I'd rather it not be my first. Hmm. Now, that is I've never great. heard that quote. Well, that's, that's why. That's, that's great. Why that's why I'm on your show. <laughs> It's funny though, because we get comments all the time where we'll we'll post something about Tiger and you know showing his you know make percentage from eight feet and be like that's Tiger right and we're expecting to do it fifty plus percent of the time, uh, but nobody actually the, their comment is yeah but I don't have Tiger's short game but I don't have Tiger's potting I'm not Tiger Woods but they're missing this point that you just hit home is. I think I heard you say this on another podcast. It's something about how if you feel like you don't have skill or you don't have as much skill in your swing as you'd like, well, unskilled thoughts or bad thoughts certainly don't help, right? So it's moving beyond what you think is true, which means I have a flawed swing or I miss it or I can't hit green, whatever it is. But actually, is that thought helpful? And the answer is no. So think something that is helpful. Think something that's more productive. And that's what you, you basically just said with 
Are you like are you like sports psychologist? You're like brilliant. <laughs> it's now that's great insight. Yeah, it's pretty much that simple. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yeah. I mean, like if people don't want to hear positive thinking, I said, well then, just think about where you want the ball to go. Don't call it positive thinking. Yeah. That's just logical. It just makes sense. I mean, most of my stuff is pretty logical and commonsensical. Yeah. And if you don't like positive thinking, all right, just think about where you want the ball to go. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, if you think about it, like with you're talking about Tiger, I mean, when I explain to my players at the top level, everyone talks about what a great iron player Tiger is. I go, yeah, but if you study it, 80% of the time when he hit a middle iron, he hit it in the middle in of the, the green. green. Yeah. And everyone else thinks they have to shoot at the flag. And even at the tour level, I tell guys, you're not as good with a six iron or five iron as you tend to think you are. Why are you taking that shot on? You don't have to win at the top level. Put it over here. But Tiger got it. And he learned a lot of it from Jack Nicklaus, is my guess, because they both were the most conservative strategists with the long part of their game in the middle irons as anyone I've ever seen. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, and if we have to put Nick Faldo in there, because they won the most majors probably, um, they were all unbelievably conservative golfers. And they got it. Yeah. And, yeah, trying to get other people to get it is interesting. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. Hear from one of our brand new sponsors, and then we'll get you right back to the show. You're not going to want to fast forward through this one. Trust me. So I was reflecting the other day, guys, okay? And I was thinking, wouldn't it be crazy if we all had our own caddies? Not just a caddy at the club you play at or whatever, but literally your own dedicated caddy playing with buddies wherever. Wouldn't it be sweet if we had a caddy that always gave us the perfect yardage for every shot? They factored in the wind. They factored in the elevation. They factored in how cold it was, right? A caddy that kept our stats, that told you that 90% of the time you miss the fairway to the right, right? So maybe that helps you with their alignment off the tee or maybe club selection. Or a caddy that kept track of your scores, right? And told you where your handicap was trending, but also, more importantly, told you where your buddies were shooting that week too. You can kind of compete thanks to your caddy for keeping track of it. Maybe even a caddy who... You know, it's great with on course, but also happens to be a swing instructor and can look at your swing and say, hey, you're getting a little too inside. Let's get you back on plane, right? 18 birdies is basically your own caddy in your pocket. I'm telling you, it's the number one GPS swing analyzer app in the world. And the app is an absolute game changer. They have data that says for premium users, and I'll get you a free trial as being a part train listener, premium users on the 18 birdies app on average shave four shots off their handicap Four. how crazy is that? I played with it the other day and you know, I don't hit the fairway every time. So the yardages, the plays like yardages, it was a game changer. But more importantly, guys, that's all great. Like your game's going to get better. It's guaranteed. It's in the data. Right, And I know you guys care about getting better if you listen to this show. And we're working on your mental game. The par train for the mental game and 18 birdies app for on course and stat tracking and swing analyzing, it's pretty much a deadly combo. right? But I think the coolest part and the big reason why I want you to download the 18 birdies app is because I'm starting a private 
Partrain group. And look, we get DMs of your scorecards every week. So now it's all going to be in one place. It's going to say who's leading the week in best score, who's leading the week in this stat and this stat. And we got our own little leaderboard. And it's going to be super fun. Okay, so I'm going to get you a free trial of this app. And all you got to do is hit the show notes of this episode and tap the link in those show notes. And that'll take you to download the app and join our group automatically. So it's super easy. It's going to improve your game. We don't just promote anything, right? This is the number one app in the world for this stuff. I come from tech, so I know a good app when I see it. And this is good stuff, guys. So join us on the 18 birdies train. Enter your scores. Improve your game. Shave four shots off your handicap. And let's start challenging each other to get even better in 2022. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the show. Well... We've been talking a lot about the greats of Padraig Harrington, one of the best European tour players of the last 20 years. And for our listeners, he won three majors in two years in 2007, 2008. I had read, uh, Bob, that or something I think you guys worked on that was a, a huge part of the development of his game was acceptance and the pre-shot routine. So everything's all, we always talk about pre-shot routine, but Padraig was reminding himself once he did his routine, whatever happens, happens. So this acceptance of letting go and helping him swing freely. So I guess to talk about that, Bob, is that he was that vocalization was like, like he's, he does his routine. And right before he goes, he said, whatever happens, happens. Like how do I, how does somebody no, who's listening to that. this? How do you, he buddy, definitely <laughs> not saying that. yeah, well, I don't know. Who, right. So what should, what Here, should, here's we, the best way I can explain. Say? Yeah. Um, I want him to just look at it where he wants the ball to go and let it rip. Um, and then wherever it goes, accept it. So, I mean, he does a good job of preparation be behind the ball. And he's not going to get up to the ball until he's seen it, the shot he wants. But over it, he's really just looking and going. Uh, no, he's not vocalizing that. That's for sure. And, and that's part of the problem is we're trying to vocalize. So the way I try to explain it to people, I said, you know, the English language was probably written by some college professor. I don't know, maybe even before there was college professors, but it was probably a pretty analytical, intellectual person. The problem is there really isn't a language that's very good for describing a quiet mind. Hmm. There really isn't a very good language for describing the athletic mind. And so I describe it as I want you to play with your eyes and your instinct. We were kidding earlier before we came on the air about mindfulness. And I said, well, I'm more into mindlessness, um, particularly when it's time to move your body. And that's really what I'm talking about. I, I mean, I don't really want people thinking consciously when it's time to move. You can do it away from the ball. You can do your mental breath, but over the ball, we know athletically when it's time to move, we, we don't want you thinking. And a lot of people are like, what do you mean you don't want me thinking? I want you to just look where you want it to go and let a swing happen. I want people to have the attitude on the golf course that I'm not going to work on my golf swing or try to make a golf swing. I'm going to paint a picture or see a ball flight, and that's going to cause a swing of a certain kind to happen. Okay, so if I'm seeing a draw, I will, my swing will change. 
if I'm seeing a low shot, my swing will change. Like if I asked you to throw a ball over a tree, your shouldering and arm angle would change, but you would never think about it. You'd just look over the tree and you'd throw it over the tree. If I asked you to then throw one under the tree, it would change again, but you wouldn't tell yourself how to do that. Hmm. And so once you're on the golf course, I want people to play golf shots rather than golf swing. Well, but all of my players have a teacher. All my players work with someone. Not all of them. You know, I have some that don't work with a teacher, but the majority have someone who helps them with their fundamentals. But most of them, it's in their setup, ball position, alignment, stuff that happens before they move. And yet magazines and television tend to like to talk about the swing. Most good players, it's a lot about the pre-swing work. And then it's about seeing shots and a swing happens. And that's where the game gets really interesting and fascinating. That's yeah. where it gets playful. That's so, where it's a game and it's fun. Um, I forget what the heck your question was. Well, let me, <laughs> let me follow up on something, Bob, because so we love our listeners, right? Everything we do is to try and get them great nuggets like this. And one thing I could hear some listeners thinking after what you just said is I, it makes total sense and everything else I do, I'm not thinking about it. I just do it and it happens. But Bob, I don't know how to hit a draw versus a fade. Like, am I a, an 18 handicap? Is that actually going to like, they're probably thinking, yeah, but I'm, I, I'm not good enough for that yet. So I need to get my swing right first and then I can start playing freer. I've written in previous books that a beginner is unconsciously incompetent. Okay. So a beginner is very unconscious. Like I have nine grandkids when they first go swing a golf club, they might be doing everything wrong, but boy, they're unconscious and they're freed up, mm -hmm. okay? yeah, which is great. They might miss the ball. They might hit it all over the place, but man, they're, they're unconscious. Yes. Okay. An intermediate performer who's been taking lessons and practicing is defined as being consciously competent. So now they're conscious of what they're doing and they're thinking about their golf swing and they're developing competence. So they're becoming consciously competent, okay? Which is okay on the driving range. An advanced performer is unconsciously competent, okay? Mm. So believe me, if you go back and look at my earlier, earlier books, I mean, I've been very honest with people. Um, probably need to get some fundamentals from a teacher. You probably need to spend some time practicing and learning some fundamentals. And then you need to learn how to repeat it. So a range in the practice is okay for that. Yeah. But when you go on the golf course, you have to play golf. Now, people will say to me, well, what if I'm an intermediate player and I go on the golf course and see shots and hit it and they don't go where I'm looking? I go, well, that's what I would expect. You should expect that. Even the best players in the world that are advanced performers, it doesn't go where they're looking a lot of the time. Their misses are just better than yours. Okay. So part of it, you got to accept it and go play golf and score. So you might say, well, then you better not be hitting your driver if it's going 90 yards. I mean, what club can you swing? And even if you miss, have it be in play. So that's where course management and strategy becomes a part. Sometimes people say, well, so you don't want me to have any swing thoughts. And I go, 
Yeah, that would be my dream for you. And they'll go, well, would you ever make an exception? And I'll say, well, I wouldn't like to, but if I had to, I'd tell you, okay, I'll make a deal with the devil with you. <laughs> and the deal is this. I'll let you have one swing thought, but you got to do it on every warm-up shot, regardless of where the ball goes. You're committed. You got to do it on every shot on the golf course, and you've got to tie that swing shot thought into the ball going to your target. And it's a belief, if you wish, and a commitment. And if the ball doesn't go there on your third shot, you're going to do it again on your fourth shot. You're not going to go to some other. Like some people have been with four teachers. They tell me they not only bounce around on swing thoughts, they bounce around on teachers. So the first two holes are with teacher A. The next three holes are with teacher B. The next three holes are with another teacher. And then they start all over again. That isn't going to work. And then the other part of the deal is, I'll make that deal with the devil if I have to, but anything less than a full swing, you have to just see shots and hit shots with no swing thought. I definitely don't want any swing shots with the part of the game that's really creative and imaginative. You know, like the full game isn't always that creative. I mean, you could have one shot and hit it all day, but boy, once you get up around the greens or inside 70, 80 yards, you got to really play golf. Yeah. Um, so that would be the deal I'd make occasionally, but I don't like making it because I don't think you're ever going to be at your best if that's how you're doing. Like, I mean, you know, like if you watch Steph Curry, if he missed his first seven shots, he doesn't start changing his technique. He stays unconscious and he just keeps looking and shooting. I mean, he's so unconscious that he almost shoots it before he catches it from half court. That's really right. one of the beautiful things I've ever seen. But yeah. I mean, the closer to that we can get with our golf game, the better off we're going to be. Doc, Doc, you mentioned you're talking about commitment a little bit. When I yeah. was growing up playing, I when I there was a time when I started to figure out um, how to kind of look at my round, post round, and it was two things. It was I would go back and think think about every shot that I was not committed to, and count those up. Think about why. And then I would also think about what were the shots that maybe I was committed to, but I just didn't spend enough time over the detail. And Evan and I, we played the Ritz last week. We were down for the PGA merchandise show. And my back, I hadn't played in a few months. My back nine was much better than my front nine. I was a little rusty, but the front nine, I just wasn't visualizing golf shots. You know, I was just trying, and the back nine, I really started to do that. And there was so much better. So, I just think, you know, we talked to a lot of our listeners, like when you, after your round, how can you kind of diagnose what happened as opposed to, well, I hit X amount, X amount of fairways and greens and putts is all important, but liked a lot where you said, I mean, I've had people where I've had them keep a separate scorecard. I've written about it in some of my books where just keep a score for how many shots was I clear and committed on. You know, you mentioned visualization. I mean, this is where the game gets fascinating. What does it even mean to visualize a golf shot? I mean, some people actually tell me they see the ball go through, leave the club, go up in the air. They see the entire flight, the landing and the rollout and the stop. Yeah. 
Other people tell me I see a dotted line. I don't see a ball. Some people say I just see the target. I see where I want it to end up, but I don't see it going there. Somebody else says, I don't know if I see anything. I just know it's going there. And so even that, there's, and this is where golf gets complicated because everyone experiences it differently. And it's like, I, I ultimately, you got to be clear and committed. Ultimately, there's got to be an absence of doubt or fear. Um, but yeah, you have to have a clear plan of where you want the ball to come. Um, and let's face it, for most people to get real good, it, it takes a certain amount of practice. But at some point, I, I'll give you two examples from recent clients. Um, one actually is from Chicago. A young gal is pretty darn talented. But she's been playing golf a couple of years and getting really good. And yet, you know, she tells me, I, when we started talking about doubt and lack of commitment, it was mainly uphill lies, downhill lies, ball above her feet, below her feet, ball in a divot. You know? And I looked at her and I said, well, how much do you go out in the golf course and practice those? And she said, never. Our course is very flat. I go, yeah, you better find a way to go out and practice them uh, late in the day. I said, the only way you're going to learn, I said, you're not going to learn this on a driving range mm-hmm. and, or, or in a, you know, in the winter going in an indoor bubble or something. I said, I know yeah, they make some mats that'll do some of that. And I said, you got to go out. Like I had a daughter who played at Notre Dame. And I said, you know, we'd go out at night and find steep uphill lies, downhill lies, above your feet, below your feet. We'd go in the woods and find out which trees can I hit it over and which can't. Which ones, can I hook it around the tree or can I cut it around or do I have to hit it under? But you got to go out in the golf course and do that stuff by yourself, not in competition, no social pressure, just totally out there. This is what all good players do. And so that's some of it for a lot of people. They got to understand that's what good players have done and they're always have done. Now, another example of a tour player who's won on the regular tour and champions tour. He's on the Champions Tour now, and we had a great meeting, and him and his teacher, and he was talking about, he said, like, my perception is I had a very good year last year, but my teacher keeps adding things every time I take a lesson, and I have one flaw, and I'd like just to stay committed to that one flaw and improve on that, and he said, my teacher is always worried about how I'm hitting it when I'm with him. And the player started telling the teacher, I don't care how I'm hitting it when I'm with you. I just want you to tell me what I need to do to get better. I'll go home and learn to do it. And the teacher was like, well, I really only want you working on one thing. My perception is I give you one thing and you turn it into five things. And it was the greatest discussion. Mm, It was just beautiful. And by the time we were done, we made it. We decided, okay. Here's what he needs to work on. This is all you need to work on. Everything else you're doing is fine. And let's get really good at it. Evan's going to jump in here. But one thing I just wanted to comment on about your first first example about recreating moments. Some of the great practice moments of me growing up with my three brothers was we're doing an up and down contest, but you got to drop the ball in the rough. Can't fluff your lie. And it was amazing how where our minds would go to get creative and have fun. 
Um, yeah, the I world just, has no idea how many hours Padraig Harrington and, and Shane, Lowry, Shane Lowry spend having that kind of short game contest. They can do it by the hours playing games yeah. up to five, up and down games where you got to actually go pitch it and putt yep. it out yep. because that's what golf is. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling people it's a mindset. It's like good players just think they can get up number. If they hit a mediocre pitch, well, they make the 10 foot putt. But a yeah. lot of times they get it to two feet, but they just think they can get it up and down and you have to practice it. That's what we do in every other sport. I mean, think about it. Every other sport, we actually practice on the same field we play. You practice football on a football field, practice basketball on a basketball court, practice swimming in a swimming pool, practice tennis on a tennis court, and we practice golf on a driving range. And we wonder why it doesn't transfer. I go, whoever told you it would? <laughs> It's true. I, I don't know thought, who that person never was. Never thought of it that way. You yeah. can learn some skills there, but you're not going to learn how to play golf. Bob, speaking of football, one of my favorite quotes you said was actually you uh, mentioned a Lombardi quote that I think is a really great quote. You said, uh, Lombardi said, games are determined by one or two plays at some point during the game. You just don't know which one, right? So you better make sure you give every play your focus in case this next play is the one. And it's ironic because I was telling CERN before you came on, Bob, that the first time I broke 80, you know, all those times I had shot 81, 80, you look back and you're like, oh, it was that three putt, right? So the day I broke 80, I actually thought to myself, this could be the shot that is the one that helps me break 80. And that was just my way in of being very focused in, in the moment, shot to shot. And that's actually how I shot my first 77 years ago was that same mentality. What you're saying is you and Vince were a lot alike. Yeah. I feel like Vince and I have a lot alike for sure. Great leaders. Great leaders. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know what? Vince put a lot of golf. All those coaches who spend all of their life in the coaching office, sleeping in the cot at night. Vince played a lot of golf and his dad had a tattoo. On one hand, it said work hard. The other hand, it said play hard. And, you know, mm. it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But Vince was a lover of golf. I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah, I got into this because my I had a cousin named Sal Somo. who's a great coach at Newdorf High School in Staten Island, New York. And he and Vince did clinics. And starting in fifth grade, every time my cousin came home to Vermont for vacations or, or holidays, I was the only one who wanted to hear his stories about him and Vince Lombardi. But, you know, Lombardi coached high school football for 17 years. His only other head job was the Green Bay Packers, other than a couple months when he died before when he was with the Redskins. But he was pretty much a high school coach, and he taught physics and chemistry. Um, And But that's when I first started hearing about attitude. And I agree. I I think that's why I wrote about it. That quote for football applies so beautifully to golf. And it's amazing in every tournament you can find a shot or two that make a difference. And, you know, there's always a putt you make or an up and down or to save a bogey sometimes that wins you the tournament. And sometimes it's even just luck. It doesn't have anything with your game or your head or anything else. And you just get a good break and the other guy gets a bad break. So, I mean, luck plays some role in winning. Like I talk about it, I was the first person that was with our research bureau at the University of Virginia to really analyzed the tour stats. And it was interesting that it was a lot easier 
to use stats to predict scoring average, and it was winning. Winning, there's a lot of luck involved. Good luck mm. for you and bad luck for somebody else. Can we talk a second about your work with Rory and, and LeBron? I'm sure, I think everyone wants to know, I think our listeners would love to know, working with guys like that, um, you talk a lot about how talent and skill is only one part of it, right? It's the work, it's the daily work, it's the mental work. What has been helpful for those two guys in your work together? I would say what both of them share is they want, they have a passion for greatness. Hmm. I mean, in LeBron's case, it's like, I want to be the greatest basketball player in history. And there were some things like three-point shooting and free-throw shooting and being a leader at the age of 21 that he had to get better at. And I think that's what you see, whether it's him or Rory or whomever. I mean, they want to go someplace that they're not at. They're on their way. And they know they need help, and but they're willing to be very honest and open about it. They're not afraid of it. They're not embarrassed by it. They want to get better. And, and ultimately, it's like they can live, you know, if they don't end up the greatest player ever. But they want to find out, you know. Mm, and so yeah. they're chasing something that's, whether you want to look at it as it's pushing them or pulling them, you know, we could argue, I suppose. But but they're always trying to go to another level. They're always trying to get better at it. They, they've got an experience in a game or a tournament or in a practice where they saw what they were capable of. In other words, they got to that place where it was magical and it was like, oh, wow. And at some level, they'd like to do that more of the time. Now, I don't think they're into, you know, mastering it, you know, um, but they know that, it's can I play great when I'm not on, you know, in basketball, and this is where it's a little different in basketball, LeBron can't do it on his own. He, he's got to, in other words, if you don't make your teammates better, you can't be the greatest player of all time because I mean, we could argue what I'm going to say next, but in my mind, the greatest basketball player of all time is Bill Russell. and. Think about Bill Russell. He won two national championships at the University of San Francisco, which apparently upset the president of the school because they dropped basketball for about the next 40-something years. Um, but, he, I mean, he won two at a school no one else has ever won one before. Yeah. Ultimate winner. I mean, let's career. face it, Michael Jordan's unbelievable. But other people have won at North Carolina, and he had James Worthy, and we could go through a list of guys that were on his team that became great pro basketball players. They had a hell of a team. Russell had Casey Jones, but he did it somewhere where no one else had. And then he won 11 world championships with the Celtics and a bunch of Olympic championships. And what was neat about Bill Russell is he said, even in his 11th championship series, he would go in the locker room before the game and throw up. And when he threw up in the locker room, he knew he was ready. <laughs> he said his biggest concern yeah. was after winning 10 that he wouldn't be up for it and he said man when i got sick in the locker room i knew i was still into it and but i mean he made his teammates better and he made that his number one goal so in a team sport you have to bring other people with you you're not going to do it on your own and i think michael certainly did that lebron has certainly done that um in golf Rory pretty much has to do it on his own. In other words, I don't care who teaches him 
or helps him once he gets on the golf course. And I think, I mean, I played basketball and lacrosse in college. And to me, what's cool about golf, and that's kind of what we like about it, is, yeah, I'm out there all by myself, all alone, and you got to do it all yourself. Uh, we can all help you, but once you tee off, you know, you're on your own. And so it's different in that regard. But in terms of the mindset when you're shooting, I mean, that's where golf is very much like other sports. Um, but it's, you know, it's fascinating. But well, I mean, I think they both have a passion. I mean, I mean, you, you look at the discipline they both have with their diets, their workouts, their practices, et cetera. They both had times when they probably, in trying to get better, tried something that didn't work or didn't help. And then they got back on track. Um, they both have had to develop unbelievable patience and accept another think of their expectations and yeah. how much patience and self-acceptance you have to have to have the expectations they have. And then it's dealing with your expectations rather than the public's expectations because their expectations of themselves are probably higher than the public's. Right. Um, so, I mean, people who've been that, I mean, they were both, you know, I think we could say they were child prodigies, both of those guys. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother level of expectation versus someone who's more of a late bloomer. Um, they have to deal with no one expecting them to do anything. And they have to be the only person in the world who believes they could win a tournament or a major. And the whole world jumps on board after you do it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that that's a little different deal. And so they, everybody has different stuff to deal with. Um, but, you know, I think when you combine exceptional talent with passion and big dreams, you have something special. There's a lot of people who have a lot of passion for golf, but aren't that gifted at it. And that, that would bring me back to like Tom Kite. Uh, what I loved about Tom Kite is he always said, my ultimate goal is to see how good I can get at the game I'm in love with. And, you know, and that's ultimately what it's about is like when I retire, when I die, can I look in the mirror and say, man, I did everything humanly possible. Kai made a comment to me recently about Bryson DeChambeau. He said, you know, people can love him. They can criticize him. I just admire the heck out of the kid because this kid just loves golf. And he's just on a mission to see how far he can go with it. And he said, whether he works all the time or not, I just love how passionate he is about seeing how far he can take it and how good he can get. And, you know, I think that's what these players really are about. Um, you know, the publicity comes from their wins and stuff, but they know at some level that they're going to be a happy guy. If they can look back without any regrets and say, you know, I feel like I did everything humanly possible to see how far I can go with the talent I got. And, you know, that's what you're actually, you know, that's what most people are in love with. Yeah, the, Bob, I'm curious. You've seen the greatest athletes in many decades, and I'm not aging you, okay? I'm not aging you, but you've seen a lot of the best players over the years. You don't have to age me. I'm already there. <laughs> in all different sports. but Because you just said that Rory and LeBron know they need help. And help meaning coming to somebody like you. Well, did Ben Hogan and Oscar Robertson know that they needed help? What about those guys? Are there things that stick out to you from – those previous generations that, that yeah, we, well, first of all, what I would say, their, like their strengths, like, cause they didn't have the resources. Well, they didn't have someone called a sports psychologist. 
Right. But believe me, they all had coaches who believed in them. Sure. And it probably started in junior high school. And I mean, those guys that were fairly early bloomers, they all had coaches who saw talent and they, man, started believing in them. They probably started believing in them before the player believed in them and really helped them along. I've heard that a lot. I mean, I've had a lot of great basketball and football players tell me if I didn't have a junior high school or high school coach who started telling me how great I could be, I never would have gotten here because I certainly didn't see it in myself. And other people brought it out of me. So it doesn't really matter what we called you. Um, sure. But I mean, yeah, everybody had someone. It, you know, now we kind of define these roles and we have more education in it and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's been going on for a long time. Like we mentioned Lombardi. I promise you, Lombardi was really good at getting people to believe in themselves and be committed. And if, let's face it, if you weren't committed to greatness, he didn't want you on his team. Right. You know, so I, mean, I think it's been going on for a long time. I mean, you know, when I first, my first talk I ever gave, I mean, they told me that Sam Snead would rip me to shreds and Sam Snead kissed my butt and started <laughs> bearing his soul and talking about, I mean, the first thing he ever said was, God, I hate to think I'm a U.S. Opens. I want if I had someone like you to talk. To. Right. Uh, yeah. And I remember thinking, well, that didn't sound so bad. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, so, and that opened up everyone else to talk about it. But I get concerned when people start thinking that what I do is like mental health training. I go, I'm not into mental health. I'm working with people who are already healthy, who are already average or above average in trying to get the great. If someone has a serious mental health problem, I send them somebody who works with mental health. Like when they talked about, uh, what's her name in the Olympics? Um, Biles. They tried to make that into a mental health problem. I said, that wasn't a mental health problem. She's getting older, where you start realizing you could break your neck. She's in love probably the first time in her life. And she's now unbelievably wealthy. She's not poor anymore. And she's doing a stunt that no one else in the world has even dared try, let alone do in competition. And they made that into a mental health. That's not a mental health problem. She got scared yeah. of doing something that no other human being has ever dared try. And I said, the last day when they put her back on the balance beam and she didn't have to risk getting serious injury, in her mind anyway, I mean, she was able to perform fine. Um, and I just think we need to understand that. I mean, I, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I didn't want to study clinical psychology. I didn't want to study abnormal psychology. I still don't understand why we go to college and they have us take abnormal psychology classes. Why aren't they having us take performance psychology or positive psychology or growth psychology, whatever you want to call it? Why aren't we teaching kids about the psychology of success? Why are we teaching them abnormal psychology? I, I don't get it for the life of me, um, but they don't ask me either. But <laughs> the point is, that's what I'm into taking people to the highest level humanly possible. I, I want people to chase their human potential. And that means you have to be in a great state of mind, in a great mood. And accept that most people don't do that. I don't get upset if people don't want to do it. But I love working with people who want that kind of challenge. It's hard. Like some people say to me, well, you know, it's really hard to think the way you want me to think, Dr. Otell. And I go, well, it was really hard to learn how to hit a bunker shot. 
but you just <laughs> went in a bunker and hit billions of them until you learned how to do it. You didn't yeah. say, oh, God, it's hard to be a good bunker player. I said, you did that with every part of your game. So, so what if it's hard? And ultimately, you tell people, this is how you're going to separate yourself. Like in today's world, starting, you can find kids 13 years old who can hit the ball so good, who can pitch it so good, bunker good, putt it good. I mean, at, we're getting to a point where now it's coming down to the mind and course management. Can you do those things? Because there's going to – teachers have done such a good job. And with the money in the game, there's a lot of talented people that are really dedicated to getting good. And it's now like, okay, now can you go against other people that look just like you? In other words, you go out in the range at a certain level. You don't go, oh, those guys stink. They're no good. You go out there and everybody can hit it. Mm-hmm. You go over the short game area, everyone can pitch it. Everyone on the putting green can put it. It's like, okay, now we've kind of equalized skill. Think about the tour. Everyone's between like, I might be a little off, but let's say they're between 11.5 greens and 12.8 or maybe 13 once in a blue moon. Everyone's so closely bunched in ball striking, but it's a minimal standard now. If you're not, if you're hitting eight greens and trying to play on tour, good luck. You know, I mean, so you better be up around 12. Um, But no matter how long you practice, you're probably never going to get to 15. You know, so once you get to 12, why are you spending all your time still working on your swing? It's like mm-hmm. you better go spend it on the rest of the game or on your head or whatever. But I mean, so I mean, that's a lot of what it's about. But it's but it's it's not about it's not about have thinking like average people think, at yeah. least on the golf course. And it's if you got big ideas, like let's say someone says, never mind a tour player. Let's say someone says, I want to be a single digit golfer. Well, then you got to have a single digit attitude. You can't have the attitude of a 120 shooter. In other words, you have to bring your mind up to the level of your golf skill. So a lot of people improve their golf skills from practicing and taking lessons, but keep their own mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bob, I know we got to get you out of here. You got to watch Virginia um, basketball, but let me end with this. You said, if you want everyone to understand and appreciate you, go be average, be like everyone else, right? Discipline isn't easy. (laughs) Uh, Discipline isn't easy. Or did you just go to the book and kind of like cut out a couple of quotes and pretend you read the book? Come on, Bob. You know, I got Uh, your books. Just check it. Come on, Bob. Uh, but discipline, (laughs) discipline's not easy and you got to love the challenge of the day. I think that's, I think that's a great send off. So so let's end end with that. that, That's why I talk about free will, personal responsibility and personal accountability, because that takes discipline and patience and self-acceptance. Brilliant insight guys. Have fun. Thank you, Bob. Your latest book, make your next shot, your best shot. It was one of the best birthday gifts I've gotten in a long time. So make sure you get that. Um, RotellaPerformanceWorkshops.com. Bob, thank you so much. We're, we're yeah. so pumped to have you aboard. It's a pleasure. You should see how pumped I am to be with you. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. You got us fired up. Do, do you think we need to get, Bob, one of our hats, part train hats? What do you think? Oh, that would <laughs> be like a dream. That would be. 
That's what, it, that's you know what? what I'll, I'll talk to Darlene. We'll get an okay. address. We'll send you a hat. Love it. Every, every boy's entitled to a dream. <laughs> hey, beautiful. Take care, Bob. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.